Welcome to another episode of The Wild Feather, where we bring you inspiring stories from female founders and investors. I'm your host, Brooke Dunwell, and today we have a guest joining us who shares her journey from corporate America to entrepreneurship. Her story is a testament of resilience and the pursuit of making the workplace fairer. Jen Henderson is the founder of Tilt, the, an HR tech company specializing in leave of absence management. Jen's story was born from her personal experience. During her 15 years on her corporate journey, she and her husband went through seven years of in vitro. This period led to Jen focusing even more on her career as probably a coping mechanism. She was a top achiever, president's club. She poured her heart and soul into her job. However, they had success and she became pregnant. And once she told her employer, her career trajectory took an unexpected turn. Overnight, she found herself facing discrimination and a halt in her career progression. It was a big turning point for Jen, but she persevered through this time and gave birth to her child, returned to work only to face a similar situation five years later when she became pregnant again. Let's dive into Jen's journey, her mission with Tilt, and her insights into entrepreneurship and her experiences in fundraising. so much for joining us. Well, thanks for having me, Brooke. I'm excited to be here. Yeah. Yay. Okay. So you are the founder and CEO of Tilt, and mm -hmm. I would love to hear and learn about how you became a founder and what led you to um, your entrepreneurial journey. Yes, my founding story, how Tilt came out of the earth is not that unique to a lot of other founders that you talk to in that it was completely born out of personal experience. Um, mm -hmm. My background is actually corporate America. I spent 15 years in operational roles and okay. I loved everything about it. There's nothing about corporate America that kind of turned me off. I wasn't one of those uh, individuals that aspired to be my own boss or anything like it. I had really no exposure to entrepreneurship um, whatsoever. And then in that, in that corporate America, um, time frame, I also went through seven years of in vitro fertilization, trying to get pregnant with my husband. And so all of that lack of control in my life, I mm -hmm. let, I doubled down on my career trajectory, which I very much could control as a coping yeah. mechanism quite transparently. Um, and then we got lucky, uh, after seven years, we had a successful cycle and I became pregnant. And when I announced that I was expecting with my employer at the time, overnight, I stopped progressing in my career, to put it mildly. Um, mm -hmm. You know, I'd become very accustomed to the top of the nine box and promoting every two years and having an invitation to the table, so to speak. Um, and that evaporated overnight when I was expecting. So that was my first lived experience that something was wrong and truly um, devastating for me, who quite transparently... Yeah 
had my career as a very large part of my identity. Um, But I just turned the other cheek. Honestly, I was elated to be pregnant after that journey to, um, to expecting and got back on the proverbial horse. And then five years later, different company, different stage of my career, I became pregnant with my second. And this time when I announced I was expecting, I had a promotion rescinded. So that was the straw that broke what? the camel's back for me. Very, very legal. That... Very not cool. Um, but what you know this when is I crazy. Is this still going on today? Like this is crazy. Unfortunately, I am not unique, and my story is not out of um, the Gosh, norm. And it's awful. Very much still happening today. So I just I, are these. I, I'm assuming the, I. I'm not trying to be. Um, I'm not trying to categorize people, but were these all, were these both males? I'm assuming. Absolutely. Yes. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, yeah. Do they, are they married? Do they have children of their own? Or did they? Yeah, the promotion rescinded <laughs> um, male had a very comfortable stay at home wife that managed the whole household and he was the breadwinner. I mean, your traditional kind of patriarchy setup. So. I was not what he was accustomed to and clearly not supportive of. So yeah, it was a, a bit of a blow. And in speaking with counsel, you know, there was certainly a case to be had, but I would have had to sign a release that essentially meant that I could, couldn't be talking to you today. I couldn't talk about what had happened to me. I'd have to essentially under a gag order and I'd get paid for it. I'd get a payout, but I really truly saw that to be a short-term it's short-term hush money. So I walked away from that. I walked away from my career. Um, and I luckily have a very supportive partner who said, if you think you can make it better for others, then we can make it work on one income for, for a little while. So I was able to jump into this world of entrepreneurship. I, uh, gave birth to my daughter and then three months later filed the LLC paperwork for what is now. Uh Well, that's one heck of a first year of a baby's life trying to juggle. Oh, my word. (laughs) I can't even imagine. Oh, wow. She's lovingly referred to as Tilt Employee 0.5 as she went to every (laughs) meeting in the early days. I'm sure. That's crazy. Okay. So tell us what Tilt does then. Yeah, TILT is an acronym. It stands for Talent and Leave Technology. Uh, We are a leave of absence management company by definition. We are uh, HR tech. I like to call it work tech um, as a category, and we sell directly to businesses. So we're a B2B software company. Uh, The problem that we're solving is essentially what I experienced. So I had a fundamental thesis that if we operationalized how people go on a leave and we made it the same for everyone, that it would inherently reduce the opportunity for bias and discrimination and experiences like I had to, to sneak in. That being said, there's still asshole managers out there. They just still exist. Yeah. But uh, to have a rhythm and an operating system to alleviate um, really is the, the goal in terms of creating a better uh, experience for everyone. So we do everything. We do the legal and compliance components of it. We do the employee journey part of it. We do the manager journey part of a leave uh, with the, the goal, certainly reduce risk to the organization, improve um, retention probability for the employee coming back uh, and 
We like to say we bring the human back to leave because anyone who's gone on a leave of absence has probably encountered their fair share of 1-800 numbers and jargon-laden forms and super confusing processes. It just doesn't need to be that way. Right, right. Especially, I just think the transition on both sides of leave is has to be challenging, right? Trying to yep. figure out and navigate all of that. Absolutely. So, so I met you, I'm curious, uh, because we got introduced or I was told about you because I was talking about being a non-technical founder starting mm -hmm. a technical or software company, right? And she's like, oh, you <laughs> should talk to Jen. I was like, oh. So um, I know that I briefly summarized my experience, but I would love to hear from your, your side and your experience, like what that has been like for you? Brutal is the short answer. Um, <laughs> I have to go through all the nightmares. I did, but you yeah. learn, learn, right? Go ahead. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, and I still don't have any desire to learn how to write a line of code, but I have a tremendous amount of respect for those who do. Um, yeah. So back to the original thesis of operationalizing this workflow, that inherently meant technology focused solutions. So I never really intended to be a services or consultative um, type of approach to this. And that really was because 11 of those early uh, professional years, my formative professional careers were under the Starbucks umbrella. And Starbucks, um, as we all know, is the most operational excellence example of scale that at least I know to be yeah. out there. There's a reason you get the same vanilla latte in Michigan than you get in Colorado. They have mm -hmm. codified pretty much every single step of their operations. And so as I looked and had a front row seat to what that meant to scalability and consistency and experience, I thought, all right, well, let's go ahead and make this a tech company. And I had a really steep learning curve in what that meant. And I also had a really humbling recognition as how, in how expensive that was going to be. <laughs> So I promised my husband, uh, I promised him one thing when I jumped into this world of entrepreneurship. I said, I will never second mortgage our house. I will never drain our savings account. I'm not going to be one of those living in a friend's basement entrepreneurs. If this is meant to exist in the world, I will find another way that doesn't sacrifice our family's financial security. But I broke that promise once. And that was when I wrote a check to fund the first MVP to at least be able to go fundraise against. And so. Uh, that was my first investment in technology. Um, and, you know, from that point forward, we're now 85 full-time employees. And uh, that's amazing. mightiest part of our company is, is our technology. technology. Yeah, mm -hmm. that's amazing. So are you um, focusing on enterprise companies, large businesses, small, medium? Like what's your forte? Mm hmm the good news for us is leave happens everywhere. So it's industry yeah. agnostic and size agnostic of company, uh, but that's not a very smart go-to-market strategy. So we have really perfected our sweet spot in the market right now, which is mid-market. So 50 okay. employees to 5,500 to 5,000, if you really get mm -hmm. um, specific. That being said, we have companies in our portfolio less than 10 and over 3,000. So We've got a nice representation on both sides of that bell curve. And there's no question we're working to swim upstream to enterprise. Our North Star is 
penetration. We want to help as many people as fast as humanly possible for the exact reason when you asked, is my story unique? And the answer is unequivocally no. We know how broken this is and we know how detrimental it can be to people. So we've just got to move as fast and as, as, as far as we can. Yeah. And you've been doing this for how long? Uh, my daughter's six. So just about six years and three months. Gotcha. And um, what would you say your biggest aha moment has been along the way? One, I, one aha moment. <laughs> you can give us two, three. <laughs> oh, well, I, I would say without question, what I've learned in six years would have taken me a decade, if not a lifetime in corporate America to learn. It is such a compression of learning and exposure and experiences. Um, the, the constant learner mindset, the growth mindset I have is loves that part of entrepreneurship. It's never the same day twice. You never master whatever you're doing. It's a, a new challenge around the corner inevitably every single time. So that has been an aha time and time again. Um, I think the other one is I was talking to one of my former bosses just last week and catching up in my past life. And I said, Hey, Mary, do you remember when I interviewed with you? I, uh, I told you that dealing with ambiguity was one of my towering strengths. And that was something as a badge of honor that I used to wear is like, Oh, yeah, I can hang with roll with whatever comes at me. I said, I had no flipping idea what ambiguity was until I got into entrepreneurship. <laughs> this is a whole different world of the unknowns and navigating that. So. Yeah. that my second one. Yeah, for sure. So are all of your employees, do you have an office or are they all remote? Are they all in the States? Fully remote distributed, all US based. Yeah. Yeah. Did you raise funding? We raised five rounds. Yep. Wow. Okay. So that's awesome. How, tell us about that. Oh man. Fundraising as a, <laughs> it's a beast. Uh, it's a beast. And we, you know, I, it's a beast and you and I know better than anyone. It's the hardest when you are what we are, which is a female mm -hmm. um, first time founder with young kids, non-tech tech. I mean, I literally could not have picked more headwinds to throw into this fundraising <laughs> persona. Um, Two percent yep. of venture funding going to female founders is the reality. And like, it is say any different so than sad. that. It's real hard. It's so sad. Yeah. yeah. I, I, yeah. I remember taking my daughter to a pitch event. I, I had to, I was like, okay, you just stay right here. You're going to watch mom pitch. <laughs> yep. Um, my kids do. at this point probably recite my pitch. <laughs> I've heard it so many times. Yeah. Okay. Huh? So did you pitch to angels or uh, VCs? Both, both. Yeah. So we are, my definition series a, um, we, uh, our, Series B is next in the very foreseeable future. And uh, we've done Angel, we've done Seed, we've done Seed Plus, we've done all the rounds before the alphabet started. Yeah. If you were to give anyone advice that is starting to go down that road since you've had success with it, what advice would you give to others? Uh, know that it's a numbers game. So every single round we've pitched over a hundred uh, funds to get one yes. So over a hundred no's, and that is just mathematically the stats. So thinking you're gonna kind of skip the line, I wouldn't 
get your hopes up. Um, I would say finding the right lead and the right believer early is helpful from an amplification standpoint. So investors, especially when you're dealing with first-time founder, really look to each other to get that um, validity that this is a good deal to get in on. And then it's the third is it's a relationship game. I, I mean, even now when we are at the stage where it is very metrics driven, it is still a human to human interaction. And that is fundamentally what has been successful for us and why every line of our cap table I love and I wouldn't edit it even if I could um, because it's, a, it's the relationships that we built. And that takes time and it takes yeah. reps. Yeah. Did you cold outreach for um, your investment opportunities or pitch opportunities or was your strategy more to get introduced or through competitions? Like mm -hmm. what's that like? Every round was a little bit different. So the early rounds I did, gosh, I'll never forget one season. I did 70 something pitches in like three months. It was literally like press the button and it came out on the yeah. pitch. But you know, you've been there. You just get up on stage and say your, your spiel and every competition that had a monetary component, 2000, 3005, whatever that could be. Um, I was first in line for cause we didn't have a, a two dimes to rub together. So that was earlier stages. Um, but even the early investors in those pitch competition stages that ended up writing checks, it was through introductions and relationships that I built in our local community. Yeah. And then um, as we've grown and through the evolution of the rounds, the first place I go is my existing investors. And I say, yeah. who do I need to talk to? Who's, who's right? Who will get what we're doing? Um, and those mutual introductions are the majority of the new ones I talk to. Yeah. They really are your first first level investors really are um invaluable right like they really are a good resource for a lot of scenarios and intros i feel like Absolutely. yeah, yeah. I, i've truly fine i mean it's cliche but good people flock together so those yeah. being good people roll into more good people by and large which which is nice yeah interesting uh were most of your, I feel, let me back up. I feel like a lot of people automatically think that they've got to go to California to, or New York for funding. Did you go locally? Like, um, within your geographic area, I say this because Detroit has been growing and they've been putting a lot of effort into growing the um, funding world, the V, you know, whatnot, but there still isn't a lot of money that they're very small investments mm -hmm. as much as they'd like to tout it. So I didn't know what the landscape was in Colorado. Yeah. It's a great question. So we raised our whole series a on zoom, which was a little unique given that it was still COVID. Um, but I didn't get on one airplane to raise that round, which was one of the biggest that we've raised. So that I think COVID really was a, a strong equalizer in geographic locations to say you don't have to be in California, in New York based either or travel to, to raise the rounds. And I've seen that continue now, in the, especially in the last year or so as investors are far more willing to take a conversation virtually as opposed to requiring the in-person. Now, that being said, I've never signed a term sheet with an investor that I have not met in person. So mm -hmm. that for me has remained required. 
Um, but we are based in Colorado. So it is, um, you know, somewhat similar to Detroit, I would say in that flyover state, middle America, but likes to think that we're um, coming a long way along the venture world. And Boulder certainly has been an accelerant for us. Boulder, Denver are, I would say, stronger tech hubs than a lot of our neighbors in the, in the Midwest or middle of the country. But um, we don't have as much Colorado representation on our cap table as I would like um, for a variety of reasons, I think. And even more so sub-geographically, I live in northern Colorado and we're light years behind in terms of access to capital. So I'm really interested in conversations around ecosystem building and what uh, cities and states are looking at incentivizing around attracting capital, knowing that the best ideas and the best innovations are invariably going to hit a wall if we don't have capital to continue to fuel the growth. And I think right. that private and public needs to play a really strong partnership in that. Mm-hmm. But yeah. I think New York and California, to directly answer your question, have become far less, um, in, my, in my singular opinion, far less uh, singular in capital attraction. I find it, I feel like it's, the capital has spread and there's still opportunities in multiple areas. There are multiple states and metro areas that are really upcoming and becoming um, more in tune, shall we say. But I don't know if their amounts are as large or as frequent. Maybe that's, and there, and maybe it's, it takes time, right? Like, Shoot, I don't know, right? <laughs> I, no, I think you're absolutely right. And then I think it, it spins us into a different, you know, conversation around who are writing the bigger checks. What are some of those kind of blue chip firms? And those tend to be almost unilaterally male um, led and driven. And I would say that's when you do see, you know, the Andreessen Horowitzes of the world and things like that. They're mm-hmm. pretty solidly. Uh, rooted in the coasts for for sure for sure for sure and they have just an enormous amount of investments as well um i feel like too there's just like this click over on the west coast like you can just see the names it it's mesmerizing to follow for me at least um oh he came from this company and this person's investing it's just kind of like they just mm-hmm. keep going around with their friends. Mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> they yeah. yeah. Oh, I know him. Yeah, I'll throw him a couple million bucks. <laughs> yeah. No diligence needed. No intros. Yep. Right. Absolutely. Right. Oh, and I'm sure it's a good idea. <laughs> I think that's perpetuating the two percent. If we really want to, like, call it what it is, is it's we're we're just it's pattern matching. It's gross. Yeah. Yeah. For sure. For sure. So. Where do you, where do you see um, Tilt going? Like, what is your goal? Are you wanting to um, make it big? Do you want to just continue going on and you have your goals to meet that you're strategically, like, what do you, what's your dream? Yeah. I didn't know, um, what Tam Samsom was when I started this, right? Like, what, what is a, a total addressable market? I just thought that if somebody was doing this better, it was likely internationally. 
because the U.S. is painfully, actually the only industrialized nation besides Papua New Guinea that doesn't have federally mandated paid leave of some way, shape or form. So I did a lot of research internationally when I first started to see, can I emulate something that's out there? Can I lock arms and bring it domestic? Whatever that might be. And came to find out there wasn't something else out there. And leave is broken, regardless of policy, particularly at a, at a federal equivalent, equivalent level. So I say that in the dream has always been to globally support leave of absence and bring this operationalizing a mindset to it. Um, and the path to that is very much who knows, we'll see. And we're staying domestically minded for now. But our almost 300 customers that we support are pulling us internationally. And they're saying we, we had this, t the talent doing their work from anywhere, you know, a lot of it as an outcome of COVID. And we want to support them too. But it's very complex to support a leave of absence in Italy. And we're, we're small at my team, so we've got to figure that out. Um, but I do believe Tilt will absolutely be global at some point. Will I be the right CEO at that time? I don't know. I am very self-aware and do often gut checks. I have a mentor that calls it studying my navel on, am I still the right person? And I know mm -hmm. some point that answer will probably be no. And that's absolutely okay. Uh, yeah. Tilt is already for all intents and purposes, kicked out of the nest. It's out in the world. It's its own entity. It is no longer kind of my third child. So right. I'll, I'll stay here as long as I'm helpful, but it is always something I'm asking myself. Yeah. Interesting. I like that whole navel check thing. That's, cool. uh, I like it. That's good. Um, so what have been, like, what's one obstacle that you've faced on your journey that you've had to overcome and how did you overcome it? Oh, so many. Um, I think probably what's coming up for me is uh, the bullets that we've dodged with capital. So while I said before and I meant it, I love our cap table and our investors top to bottom. And I think they're awesome humans. We have now twice almost um, closed on rounds with funds that ended up being um, not as awesome as we thought they were. Mm -hmm. uh, and that each time has been really hard for me to self-reflect on, gosh, what did we miss? What did we not ask? How did we not read between the lines? What reverse diligence did we not do? Um, because I've, you know, I've been married for ni 19 years, almost 20 years, but my investors are like right underneath my marriage in terms of I'm stuck with them. So it's a really big deal to not get an asshole around the table. And we got close twice. So that, that is um, a very big uh, worry that I have yeah. every time we get started. How did you, do you have any identifiable red flags that people can ask or look for to weed that out? Yeah, because that goes along with um, Gore, Elizabeth Gore. Uh, mm -hmm. Did you hear her talk at the SVP, S, the women's, the WVS? Yep. Oh, uh, wait, we were together. Yes, I did. Yes, I did. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. She, um, I thought it was extremely enlightening and relevant. She's like, you can't take money from everyone. Yeah. Like, even though you really need money, just you can't take money from everyone because 
uh, you can get yourself in a world of hurt and you, I think she dodged a bullet or two and she was just telling about her story. And I think it's so true because, you know, especially when you're going for your first round, you're like, (laughs) you know, you're just dying. You just give me a dollar (laughs) (laughs) and you're desperate. And, um, she's like, they will make or break you, you know, they can. Yes. So are there any, did you experience anything that when you were self-reflecting, was there anything that you could have done differently or any questions that, or any, I guess maybe things to look out for. So I'm grappling to come up with an answer. That's not trust your gut because that feels cliche and that, and I have heard that many times, but I didn't listen to it in hindsight. I did have concerns that I didn't listen to because I was blinded by the money. In addition, though, I would say having somebody close to you that can either call bullshit or remind you what's important, what your why is, what your motivating factor is. Both of those occasions, I was lucky enough to have people in my life that did that for me. Um, And not just tell you what you want to hear, right? Really what you need to hear in those moments. Mm -hmm. Um, I think the other tactics although good hygiene didn't catch it for me like the reverse diligence talk to the other founders in the portfolio i was at one point given a piece of advice that i've never acted on but i think it could have saved us in these two instances which is find a uh, founder that they passed on or the the founder passed on them and find out why uh it takes a little bit more yeah um, i was like you have to do some grunt work to find that out yeah um so those would be the like specific tactics that I would say, but having, yeah. having those trusted people around you to call bullshit was my saving grace both times. Yeah. That's good advice. Um, yeah, I'm sitting here thinking about how you would find out who had pitched to them. I guess if you're in, do you guys have like startup accelerators or like startup groups? Uh, if you're in Northern Colorado, do you have any local support groups? Um, we have a wonderful local community that we, tilt wouldn't have come out of the earth if they weren't always willing to have a cup of coffee with me. However, as we've grown and, um, and gotten into the alphabet, that community has gotten smaller in terms of access to relatable experiences. And I remember a couple years ago, actually, we started a female founder comp- or, um, support group. It was a master group that we talked about and there were four of us. Mm-hmm. And two of us still exist in terms mm-hmm. of being a founder. And one of the two of us has now moved away. So it's a very small mm-hmm. pool. Um, but we do. So we're Techstars grads. We went through the workforce um, uh-huh. program with Techstars. And that is a really strong network. So I always have access to resources through them. Um, and there's yeah. certainly more in Boulder, Denver. Certainly more. Yeah. 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 I was just wondering. Uh, interesting. Well, I love it. So, um, how do you stay motivated? Well, I have a living, breathing reminder every day in my daughter. Um, <laughs> I say, you know, it, it's true. I've got a clock until she enters the workforce to make this better because I'll be damned if she experienced what I experienced. And honestly, my son as well, because, uh, different, it presents differently, but men still go through a lot of discrimination and bias as well on a, on a in a leave capacity. 
So I have that reminder. Um, and I've often wondered and asked other founders, if you don't have that visceral connection to the work that you're doing, how do you keep motivated? How do you keep getting up when we get knocked down so often yeah. as entrepreneurs and startup founders? And I truly hats off to them because I, I don't think I could do it if I didn't have that living, breathing reminder every day. Um, I had a founder once tell me, if you haven't been in a bathtub with a bottle of whiskey at 2 p.m. in the afternoon, you haven't hit rock bottom yet. <laughs> I think they're right. I hit that rock bottom last year, and I can say that was brutal. Um, oh, goodness. <laughs> you just you keep getting up. You keep yep. getting up. Yep. It's in your blood or it's in your soul. It's indescribable, I feel like, to people that haven't experienced it or aren't in it or don't have that mindset. Um, yeah. yeah. Do you find uh, that you recommend entrepreneurship to many people? I'm curious. Uh, do I recommend it? Uh, no. Because mm -hmm. <laughs> <laughs> I, I mean, I'm a believer it's either in you or it's not. Like, if you can't shut your head off from creating new ideas and um, you, your mind is, I feel like, goes 500 miles faster than others that you just can't like i have to dumb my mind my thoughts down just because i would overwhelm people with the amount of like oh we could do this and this you know what i mean uh, mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. i it's not for the weary like it is mm -hmm. it is hard and i don't think people get that until they're in the shoes but i it's obviously to me it's not for everyone and mm -hmm. after doing it for some you can pick out whether people could handle it or not, right? Can't you kind of see? But yeah, um, it's mentally taxing, it's physically taxing, and um, it's worth it, mm -hmm. I yeah. think. But I wouldn't recommend it. Um, yeah. Not, yeah. I almost listening to you say that was the first time I've thought this, though. I don't even really think that it's a job. I think it's got to be somebody looking for, I'm trying to find a different word than a lifestyle, but it is so intertwined with, to your point, like your, your thoughts on a Sunday morning. It's, it's just not a job. It's, it's a totally right. different vein. Yeah. It, I mean, for me, it's, it's all tied to like if I can think it, it's just the way your mind works or it's the way our minds work in my opinion, because uh, normal people don't think that way, <laughs> at least from what the people I'm around, right? They can do their job and shut it off and like go on with their day. And I'm like, they're watching movies and I'm, Oh, I can totally do that. And I'm like trying to make no, you know, like it just never stops. I don't know. It's true. Yep. <laughs> love it. Yeah. We are, we are unique. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I could, that could not be normal for everyone else, but, um, I also know that if you're going to be a founder, you have to have work ethic, like no other, right. Yeah. Like, um, and I don't think that can be taught. I would agree. Yeah. Uh, so, 
I do think I talked to a founder yesterday who went through a midlife crisis and she always worked for all these other companies. And when she went through a midlife crisis and she really evaluated, like self-reflected, that's when she became a entrepreneur or founder and started her own companies. And I mm -hmm. thought that was um, interesting. That's the first one founder I've interviewed that had that transition because most of the people have a situation like mm -hmm. they have a product that they need and they it wasn't on the market or there was some problem that they wanted to solve or mm -hmm. um they experienced something and they didn't like it right like but mm -hmm. um it's not often that I run into people that just Hey, this is what I'm going to do now. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. yeah. Uh, yeah. So I don't, it was just interesting. It's interesting to think about that to your point of a mindset shift and what causes that either. Is it, is it, um, are you born with it or do you develop it? Mm. I think it can be both. I think that's a great example of, there's a, a nature nurture. There's a nurture element that could instigate a total shift of perspective and motivation. And yeah, for sure. Well, I also think like, what's your background? Uh, were you like, where were you raised? And what kind uh, of family environment? Yeah. My parents divorced when I was 10. Um, so I was raised by a single mom. And I very much attribute and have many times cited her as being an example of, you know, pull yourself up by your bootstraps and just figure out a way. Um, yeah. And, and also incredibly financially minded. She um, taught me, you know, how to make the dollar stretch. And I was aware of our rent payment when I was 11 years old. So I you know, for better or for worse. And sometimes that financial um, scrutiny has served me well. And sometimes it's been an Achilles heel, but certainly part of my formative experience. Yeah. I feel like uh, childhoods have a lot to do with it. Yeah. Whether it's that. learned or it's an innate, I think maybe you feel like it's an innate, but it really was taught to you, you know, mm -hmm. during your ages of zero to is it seven where you're getting morphed the you know where it's making the biggest impact um yeah because i was raised on a farm and looking back if i look at my parents all they know how to they don't have hobbies all they know how to do is work mm -hmm. so the belief system of they weren't rich they still aren't rich they weren't wealthy none of the above but the belief system is I've got to work to survive and you have to work hard and you have to yeah. work long. Um, yeah. And yeah, it's crazy. I mean, you don't think about it until you get older and you start unpacking your problems, but. <laughs> <laughs> Yay therapy. Yep. Yep. Oh. <laughs> like what the heck, what went wrong here? Yeah. <laughs> Definitely. Yeah like try to change that pattern, but it's just interesting to me. It's things to just make you go home. Yeah. 
It's it's so funny you say that. My therapist talks about it being like code in my brain. She's like, it's not, it's bad code. It's just outdated. We need to rewrite the code and we need to like form new synapses. So to your point of like, uh, there's an archaeology mission of where did this code get built and why and how and then, all right, now that we've gone through that and processed and done whatever we need to, let's build some new code. Let's yeah. start going in the yep. direction. Right, uh, right. Time yeah. to change directions yes Yes. (laughs) yeah well that's cool okay so i'm going to i have a few more questions one is where if there are businesses out there um and i can think of a few right now that have actually reached out to me that i'd like to refer you to um but if businesses are interested in um the software platform it's a software platform right it's a platform um where what's the best way to get in touch um should they go to tilt or should they contact you or what would you like them to do yes our url is hello tilt because the person who owns tilt is greedy and won't give it to us uh, hello tilt is our url more than happy to to learn more there or else i'm very active on linkedin and they can find me on linkedin okay and then two more questions. How can we help you? Oh, please. That, exactly that. Like, you know, people that need help. We, that's our North star. That's our motivation. That's our elixir as my COO calls it. So we want to help as many people as we can. Okay. And, um, what is a mantra of yours, whether it be a mantra of the day, the week or your life mantra, like what's a mantra that you Everything like? Is- yeah, everything is figure outable. My, everything my, is figure outable. I like it. My son and I talk about that a lot with each other. We'll figure it out. It might be messy, but we'll figure it out. Yeah. If you enjoy listening to our podcast, subscribe to our channel, The Wild Feather. If you want to learn more about our guests or their products and companies, You can visit our website at thewildfeatherpodcast.com. While you're there, you can sign up for our newsletter to receive info on our upcoming episodes. Follow us on social media to get the latest deets. We're on all of them, so pick your favorite and follow us. And if you're a founder and need funding or accelerator info or business resources, you can go to our website, thewildfeatherpodcast.com and find some valuable information and resources there. No matter if you're a founder, your investor, or what your path is, just remember you were born with wings. Wings.